0: Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. In our last podcast, we took a look at progressive Christianity and what it looks like. We did a deep dive into an article written by Alicia Childers uh, for the Impact 360 Institute. And today we'll conclude our look at progressive theology and what it teaches, but also cover what to do when talking to a progressive Christian. We start with the question of, was the resurrection an a historical event or a helpful metaphor? With a lowered view of the Bible and a rejection of atonement, as we talked about last time, the, the next domino to fall will naturally be? the resurrection. If sin doesn't separate us from God and Jesus didn't really die to, or even need to die to reconcile us to the Father, well, his physical resurrection becomes a bit of a mute point, don't you think? To be sure, not every progressive Christian uh, denies the, the, the body uh, bodily resurrection of Jesus. But remember, action is emphasized over belief. So what one actually believes about the resurrection becomes, well, less important. A few years ago, a popular progressive blogger published a post written by a progressive Christian pastor about how to talk to your kids about Easter. In it, she wrote, the point of the Easter story isn't whether or not Jesus literally rose from the dead. We're missing the point, If we're fighting over the historical accuracy of a bodily resurrection, she went on to to advise parents to tell their kids that stories don't have to be factual to speak truth. Often the emphasis is shifted from it being a, a historical reality to the lessons that we can learn from the story. This matters because the apostle Paul wrote, quote, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. And, and so is your faith. and if if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and and you are still in your sins. I mean that's directly from 1 Corinthians 15 14 through 17. The, the truth of, of Christianity stands or falls based on the the resurrection of Jesus being an actual historical event. Scripture tells us that if it didn't happen, then we have no hope for salvation. That gets us to heaven, hell, and the final judgment. Let's let's look at progressive Christian theology like a set of of building blocks. Without sin, atonement, and resurrection, there's nowhere for the heaven and hell block to stand, right? I mean, if if we were never separated from God in the first place, what would be the purpose of separating people out into heaven and hell for eternity. I mean this is why many progressive christians uh, affirm some form of universalism. The the idea that all humans and in some cases all creation and even even fallen angels will be saved and 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 spend eternity with god everybody. Nadia Boltz Weber said, quote, I I confess that I am a Christocentric centric universalist. What that means to me is that whatever God was accomplishing, essentially on the cross, the Christological event was for the restoration and redemption and reconciliation of all things and all people and all creation, everyone, unquote. One of the most popular Christian books of all time, actually, is a book called The Shack. I've read it in which... um, uh, th- this this uh, this book, The Shack, actually uh, sold over 20 million copies, uh, and 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 still going. <laughs> and spent 136 weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list. Believe it or not, its theological influence on the evangelical church is in, really incalculable. A, a few years ago, its author William Paul Young wrote a book called Lies We Believe About God, which uh, it illuminates the, the theology that in, in informed the shack. In it, he wrote that he believes everyone will be saved. Yes, everyone will be saved. And calls this view universal salvation. This matters because hell is God's way of quarantining evil forever. It's essentially, God's Promise to make all things new and wipe every fear from our eye is based upon the fact that he will deal with evil once and for all. And for all right, uh, heaven is the pinnacle of God's great rescue plan, one that he offers to everyone. It's a place where those who have put their trust in Jesus will spend eternity with with God, uh, with, with you know, with the God that they, that they love. Everyone is is invited, but he cannot let everyone bring their sin. If he did, he would essentially be standing in solidarity with us, but be impotent to save us. As J. Gresham uh, Manchin uh, wrote, he said, quote, such a God may deliver us from the fear of hell, but his heaven, if he has any, is full of sin. And I would agree. As you can see, progressive Christian theology um, and and theological beliefs are not simply secondary issues that that we can just agree to disagree about, right? I mean, the progressive Christian movement is promoting a Bible that is not authoritative, a Jesus who didn't die for you and a God who can't save you. Put simply, it's another gospel and not the good news that truly sets us free for life as God intended. So is it original sin or original blessing? Recently, Michael Gunger of the uh, Liturgist podcast tweeted this. He said, quote, Heaven is not a place where you are made perfect after you die. Heaven is a realization that you're already perfect as you are now. With over 63,000 followers on Twitter, many of whom are current and former evangelical Christians, it's not a stretch to say this idea has become mainstream. But there seems to be a major disconnect between this sentiment and the evil and suffering that, that we see all around us every day. For example, we've seen the news cycle just inundated with images surrounding racism and rioting and looting and arson and brutality and all those things, right? We see humans enacting evil against other humans every time we turn on the news or or check the, the, the Twitter feeds or whatever. We, we can look around us and rightly recognize that there is something wrong with the world, something wrong with us. And in the wake of the the civil unrest in our nation right now, it's important to acknowledge an, an ancient core belief of Christianity, the doctrine of original sin. Original sin teaches that because of Adam's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden, every human is born with sinful desires, as as our as our first parents, Adam and Eve, have passed that sin on to us, that sin nature, so to speak. So what is original blessing? Well, generally speaking, progressive Christians deny that we have a sin nature, and that our sin separates us from God. In his book, A New Kind of Christianity, progressive leader Brian McLaren argues that whenever we use phrases like the fall and original sin, we are borrowing from pagan Greco-Roman philosophies and not accurately reflecting biblical truth. In their comprehensive survey of, of progressive Christianity, progressive authors David Felton and and uh, jeff proctor uh, Mur- uh, murphy wrote that quote far from being fallen creatures trying to return to a mythical eden human beings are emerging as a species from more primal and baser instincts to become more responsible and mature beings unquote rather than affirming original sin they advocate for what they call original blessing instead Often progressive Christians teach that our sin isn't what separates us from God, but it's our shame that makes us feel separated from Him. This is what Richard Rohr refers to as the small self. (laughs) Yes, small self. He teaches that mature faith is practiced by finding the true self and learning to consciously abide in union with Uh, the the presence within us. According to progressive Christianity, sin doesn't separate us from God. We just need to understand how loved and good we already are. This idea is is really antithetical to the uh, scripture and runs contrary to what we experience in our fallen world. But by what standard? What standard? Since the concept of sin has to do with wrongdoing, this brings us to a much bigger question. What is good? What, what is good? For a, a generous helping of daily moral outrage, all one needs to do is to check their social media news feeds, right? Everyone around us assumes there is some standard of goodness that is being violated. And there are things we should rightly be outraged about, of course. But why is that? We need to ask ourselves, by what standard can we proclaim one thing evil and another thing good? What standard allows us to do that? With progressive voices telling Christians to never give up on their dreams, but to them, but, but, but put themselves first and to trust their own hearts and consciences, it's no wonder many follow their breadcrumbs on a path that will inevitably end in moral relativism. With a Bible cast aside, or radically reinterpreted, this leaves nothing but personal feelings and preferences to adjudicate right from wrong. To, to illustrate this point, in, in 2017, Jen Hatmaker revealed that she no longer viewed homosexual behavior as sin. In a subsequent interview, she articulated that one of the main reasons she changed her mind was because of Jesus' analogy of good fruit versus bad fruit. Let me explain. This idea was popularized by Matthew Vines in his 2014 book, God and the, and the Gay Christian. Vines uh, appeals to Matthew 7, 15 through 20, which Jesus says this. He says, quote, you will know them by their fruit. Now, he argues that appealing to one's experience of a, uh, a particular teaching should help determine its interpretation. Does that make sense? I, in other words, if the traditional biblical understanding of homosexuality is perceived to be harmful to gay people, then it should be reinterpreted. Because Hatmaker and Vines misunderstand what Jesus actually meant by good fruit and bad fruit, they're actually promoting a type of moral relativism that is based entirely on a person's individual feelings. So that brings us to morality and justice. There's a strong cry in our day for justice. But because many in the progressive Christian movement have walked away from any external and therefore fixed moral standard there is great confusion about what justice looks like where when your view of what is good fruit and bad fruit doesn't match mine then who chooses between us can i can i demand that you conform to my standards of right and wrong without a moral lawgiver there can be no objective moral law it's just my opinion versus your opinion once a common standard for morality is removed justice is reduced to ultimately a a power struggle which of course isn't justice at all nevertheless most people instinctively realize that things like stealing and lying and murder are are wrong for everyone they they also know that bitterness and jealousy and rage can can be destructive to a person's well-being. In other words, most people live as if there's a such there is such thing as 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 sin. That brings us to the next question: If sin really exists, what should be done about uh, about it? Telling people they they just need to realize how good and perfect they already are might receive you know hundreds of likes on Twitter or whatever. But it will never satisfy the the deepest longing of of a human soul. Nor will violent displays of anger ever, you know, re, uh, reform an, an angry world. To get to the heart of a solution, we need to figure out where sin came from. What, what was it? Just an evolutionary misstep? If we view humans as generally good but just falling a bit short of their potential. We will strive in our own strength to be better and to do better. But because we don't agree on what better really means, we will never leave the endless hamster wheel of our own confusion and often often contradictory efforts. As we, as we talked about, the, the Bible offers a completely different picture of reality. Scripture teaches that sin originally came about when, when God's created beings set their wills against the will of God, because God's nature and character is, is the one true standard for all morality. Our, our failure to meet that standard separates us from Him. That's what sin is. I mean, the solution to sin would be to restore our, our unity with Him. However, once sin became part of human nature, the restoration was impossible for us to achieve on our own. In theory, God would have overlooked our sinfulness, but that would make him unjust because justice requires compensation for wrongdoing, right? A a payment for our sin had to be made. The, The astonishing beauty of the gospel is that God himself, who had no debt to pay, chose to make our payment on on our behalf through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. As a result, instead of any hamster wheel solution that we might devise, those who admit their their helplessness and accept God's payment find themselves truly able to overcome the the effects of original sin. Because we have received mercy and compassion and forgiveness from God. We are able to turn to... Extend these gifts to others, because we understand God's view of morality. We can work to establish the standards of justice and and goodness that will actually draw uh, humanity back to what their creator originally intended. With its relativistic approach to sin and morality, progressive Christianity doesn't offer a right diagnosis or medicine or or a, a cure for the disease of sin. It can only leave you enslaved to the sinful chaos that reigns in every human heart. And that is not good for anyone, really. So knowing all this, how do we reach our progressive friends? Well, the author uh, here says that several years ago, she says, I went through an intense time of doubt after my faith was rocked in a class led by a pastor who admitted that he was agnostic. And then who would later identify himself as progressive christian at the time i had never heard of progressive christianity in our class was just a dozen or so sincere christians who wanted to think deeper about our faith but as the class progressed our discomfort with what was being taught grew deeper historic doctrines doctrines were picked apart and discarded while biblical teachings were discredited new doctrines and beliefs were put in their place and i watched with sadness as many of my classmates became beguiled by this new kind of christianity there were smart and earnest people there they invested countless hours each week reading and studying and preparing for the next class discussion they were deeply persuaded by the church that the church had gotten christianity wrong and that it needed to be reframed for a modern context. Many of them began to share the reasons they were changing their minds about key defining factors of Christianity. One classmate expressed that despite the the fervent prayers of his family and church community, his wife, wife's chronic and painful physical ailments had never improved. Another classmate shared that he had visited a buddhist temple in in thailand and and observed that that sincere the, the sincerity of the monks prayers as they lie prostrate he expressed that he could not believe that god would reject their worship still another articulated that he had grown grown up in a hyper um, legalistic sect of christianity and that vilified uh, other denominations and taught that everyone except their small circle was going to hell. Another explained that she abandoned her beliefs after reading difficult passages in scripture that challenged her view of God's character. Others abandoned their beliefs because they had come to disagree with sexual ethics taught by the Bible. Since then, I've met people, she says, who embraced progressive Christianity after witnessing hypocrisy and surviving abuse or being taught um, just just um, you know, different versions of, of core doctrines in in their given church settings. As several of my friends began identifying themselves as progressive Christians, conversations became became more difficult. Sometimes we talked past each other and misunderstood each other. After I left the class and went through my own doubt and deconstruction, some Christians in my life reacted in ways that were helpful; uh, others, not so helpful. <laughs> here are the here are three things I've learned about how to have better conversations, especially surrounding topics in which emotions run high. First, understand the context. It's commonly said that we should look for the the question behind the question. This means that we should not only seek to provide an answer, but we should seek to understand why the person is seeking that in the first place. For example, often when someone asks a question about the goodness of God or why he might allow suffering in the world, he most likely isn't making an abstract philosophical inquiry, right? If a woman has just lost her husband in a car accident involving a drunk driver, she is probably not looking for a dissertation on free will versus the, you know, the predestination when she asks, you know, how, how could God allow evil? And and this author says "In, in my research, I've discovered that one of the many reasons people deconstruct into progressive Christianity is because they have an unresolved answer to the problem of evil. In recent years, former uh, Cadence Call uh, leader sing- lead singer Derek Webb declared atheism uh, after a long association uh, with progressive Christianity. In a podcast episode describing his journey, he expressed that God is either non-existent or he's evil. And Webb used as much. He actually used a kind of a colorful metaphor for for that. But you know, this is a family podcast, so <laughs> Lisa a Gung, a Gunger, who's one half of the Christian duo, um, musical duo Gunger, um, communicated that that her uh, deconstruction from a more conservative Christian faith was a result of hitting rock bottom after her cousin's bout with cancer. There are very real stories faces, and experience experiences that inform the types of questions that we all ask. It's important to be a good listener. I mean, James 1, 19 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But people can, can end up talking past each other if they don't listen deeply to one another's comments and questions while seeking to understand. But how about, secondly, Secondly, ask good questions. Conversations surrounding progressive Christianity are often emotionally charged. One way to avoid unnecessary conflict and diffuse tension is to ask really good questions. When you don't uh, make truth claims, you avoid having to defend those truth claims. That's not to say that we shouldn't ever speak truth. Uh, There is a time and a place for that. But rather than trying to to hit our progressive friend uh, with an internet-winning zinger, uh, asking a well-placed question is a powerful way to not only better comprehend their belief, but to actually expose its its weak points. The burden of proof is is on the one who is is making the claim, of course, not the other way around. Once a once a progressive friend claimed that that Jesus was was not judgmental. And didn't uh, exclude anyone and would never use labels to describe people. Well, the knee-jerk reaction was to to point out that, according to the Bible, Jesus is actually the judge (laughs) of everyone who has ever lived and and will ever live. That that he uh, excluded lots of people, including the money changers, whose temple tables he flipped over, (laughs) along with Everyone who does not do the will of the Father, which, of course, is, you know, Matthew 7, 22 and 23, and that he actually used labels to describe people all the time. I mean, for example, he, he called the aforementioned money changers robbers. However, I, I, I resisted the urge to drop the truth bomb and ask a question instead is what this author says. That's interesting where where do you get your information about Jesus from? And she blinked in in stunned silence for several uh, seconds before speaking hesitantly. Um, well, I guess I got it from the Bible when I was younger. I replied, well, so I have, have, have you read what Jesus did in Luke 10 when the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum didn't? Didn't repent after they witnessed his his miracles. Uh, spoiler alert here: uh, he condemned them to hell. Actually, uh, I don't think so. She responded. <laughs> uh, the author says, "I continue." In 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 fact, have you read about when Jesus called various people enemies and pagans and dogs foolish or or cursed? The look on her face indicated that this was new information, (laughs) but because I had simply asked questions, she was, well, invited in rather than rebuffed. She asked me to share some scripture with her, and toward the end of the conversation responded, okay, I need to think about this some more. In my opinion, that's a successful conversation, and all I did was ask questions. This not only kept the discussion from becoming hostile, but it helped my friend to see her her blind spots and swung the door open for more communication and for the record it goes both ways i've had people ask me smart questions that led me to admit where i had been wrong and let's look thirdly about how to live out the beauty of the truth of the gospel in class this, this author says, I, I listened to story after story of friends who had inherited a faith that was nothing more than moralism with a distant God. In some cases, it was harsh and unloving. In other cases, compassion for the poor and oppressed was, was not present. I am so thankful. That my dad, she says, was a lost hippie <laughs> who had searched for God through Eastern philosophies and Buddhism and and psychedelic drugs before he committed his life to Christ. He wasn't raised as a as a born-again Christian, and he didn't grow up in a church that majored in pizza parties <laughs> and minored in theology. He didn't have any baggage that clouded his his view of the gospel. Yet in a little country church in Southern California, he heard the gospel for the first time and was struck by his its beauty and its, its simplicity, a sinner saved by grace. I am so thankful that, that my mom had a strong ambition to feed the hungry and clothe the poor. This was the Christianity that was modeled for me. When I encountered intellectual doubt for the first time as an adult, the The grief over what what i i stood to lose was incalculable this was because of how beautiful i already thought the gospel was as as simple as it may be modeling consistent biblical study a a vibrant prayer life um, repentance acts of service and genuine care for other uh, for our neighbor is one of the most powerful tools to draw people to christ especially if they've been burned by the church. As Christians, if we really believe the gospel is beautiful, we should live it loudly. As Paul said, quote, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Of of course, Paul also said that not everyone will think the gospel is is so attractive. (laughs) He wrote that, that when he and his friends preached the gospel, they were, quote, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's 2 Corinthians 2.15 right there. And, and he, he went on to write that, that to some, they smell like life. To others, they smell like death. The same will be true of genuine followers of Christ. Not everyone will think that our message smells very good. <laughs> but our job is to is to seek to understand and share the true gospel, no matter who might think it stinks. Because to those whom God is saving, it will be the fragrance of life to life. And let me just say this. I want to conclude here and say this, that we, we have a a responsibility to to be disciples, to make disciples, and to do that, we need to be able to show people a real Christ. We need to show them what real Christianity is and what a real Christian is. A Christian is someone who desires to be like Christ and is striving to be like Christ. And when we do that, then others see that. When we, are, when, when we say uh, what we're supposed to say, say in, in, a, in a way that we're supposed to say it, then people see that and they want to be a part of that. Saying truth and knowing truth and having a standard, having something that we can stand on and we can say, this is truth. When it comes to progressive Christianity, they don't have that. They don't have that truth. They believe that, well, if there is such thing as truth, we'll never be able to find it. And that's just not true. We have truth. We have the Bible. We have the inspired word of God. And we have a God that wants to know us and wants us to be with him forever. Unfortunately, there are people out there that will try to color that. They will try to to pull us away from that. And that is just not right. It it will always be. The Bible has said that this will always happen, that that there will always be these sheep and and wolves. there, There will be wolves in sheep's clothing. They will look like sheep. They'll smell like sheep. They'll talk like sheep. But they aren't sheep, and they are leading people astray. I would hate to be up in heaven on Judgment Day and be one of those people and be judged in that way that would and know that that's what i was but i will say this that uh, everyone can be pulled through the holy spirit to christ to jesus christ and be saved as long as we have a saving relationship with him we have given we have confessed our sins and we have said lord please forgive me And I want to follow you. And we have that relationship. We build that relationship with him. That's where it's at. It's not about what we do, though we want to do good things once we have that relationship. But it is about relationship. And you may agree with me on that. You may disagree. I would love to hear from you. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.